Today, I am going to continue in my series on, that I'm doing called Together. Everybody say Together. So the church uh, invites everyone to gather in one place each week. And today I want to talk about this reality. And I want to talk about why we gather in this place. And I'm really going to just talk about the different things that we do as a part of our Sunday morning gathering to help you understand why we do it in hopes that it will help you in your faith during the week and also so that you'll see it as a very important sacred kind of time every single Sunday. So last week, as I described to you what the Bible teaches out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that the, about the, the church being like a body, I told you that when we think of church, oftentimes we think of a building or a place. But the word church comes from a Greek word, ekklesia, which means a group of called out ones, a group of called out people. So the church is not actually a place or a building, it's a people on mission. So as we think about that, it really is interesting to consider if you were going to say, hey, the church is important, why then would the Sunday morning gathering as a part of church life be important? And is it important? I mean, we like to assume that people prioritize it, and obviously you're here, so you've prioritized it. Pat yourself on the back. Go ahead, do it. You're here. Way to go. But really, why are we here in this way? Why does the church gather every single week? In the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, there are these three verses that are so important. Keaton so beautifully read them. And the author of Hebrews has just given a thorough explanation about Jesus as the hope for salvation. And he's writing to a group of people that are trying to sort out how to continue in their faith and not allow the persecutors or detractors keep them from continuing in the faith and having their faith strengthened in their everyday lives. And so the author says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, right? And that means that the possibility is there for you and I to waver in our Christian faith. It certainly is. I'm going to talk a little bit about how Sunday morning keeps us from drifting in the faith. For he who is promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I mean, Jesus is going to return. And so the reason that we gather on Sundays, one of the reasons is because it's a way where we can stir up among one another love and good works and encourage one another. Okay? So I want you to know right from the beginning that I believe with everything in me that the Sunday morning worship gathering is absolutely, without a doubt, 100% essential for your Christian faith. It's a non-negotiable. Some people would say, well, I love Jesus, but I don't love his church. And I mentioned to you last week, that's like saying, Russell, I love you, but I don't like your wife. Because the Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ. So you you cannot say, I'm with Jesus, but I'm not with his church. That doesn't make sense. And what research is revealing, and I'm not going to get into a lot of this because I don't want to be a total downer about it or beat anybody up, but research is showing that uh, church attendance is trending down, even for the most serious in their faith. And there are a few reasons for that, one of which is I think that sometimes, or for some reason, we have lost a real sense of value for this time when we're together, which is one reason I'm preaching this message. So I also think that your sense of value for this time together will increase if you'll understand this. The way we worship together on Sundays 
models how we're to live throughout the week. So that's the main idea. If you're taking notes, then there it is. The way we worship on Sundays models how we are to live throughout the week. And without Sunday, you will drift. So I just want to talk to you about each part of what we do in this Sunday morning gathering and help you to understand why we do it. So hopefully it will enrich your time in worship and it will also deepen your sense of how important it is to be together. All right, so we do six things basically. We sing, we pray, we learn from the scriptures, we practice the ordinances, we give offerings, and we kiss. You're going to look forward to that one. We kiss. So first of all, we sing. In his book, Worship in the Early Church, Ralph Martin, who's observing how they worship in the early church, said this about uh, singing. He said that Christian church was born in song. And Paul says to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 3, as he's explaining to them how they're to live out their faith in Christ, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, which is what I'm doing to you now, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You see, music as a part of worship is an expression of our belief. So we love Lauren and John and Nick and Katie and there are others that lead. I mean, we love it, and we like the music, right? I have people very often say to me, like, man, Sunday was great. And I'm waiting for them to say, like, the sermon was awesome. And they're always like, the music was amazing. And I'm like, and the sermon? Like, I was, you know, no, no, the music. Lauren is so great. <laughs> Which is okay. I know who I know my place. But, but, but this, we don't just put them up here because it's like, oh, we need, you know, songs. I mean, people like music. It's like a concert. Pretty cool. No, we put them up here because we are, in fact, doing something to express a belief. And I love how Lauren said we've, in that first song, we say true things about God. Like, we get to say true things about God. And one way that we uh, express belief is in our songs, and we're teaching one another things that are true about God. There's not a song that's sung that doesn't isn't come out of the Scriptures and reveals truth about who God is. And when we see who God is, you know what happens? Our hearts burst with songs. Do you know that feeling? So he says here, Paul, in this passage in Colossians, I'm just going to talk about it briefly, that, that, that the songs spring forth naturally. Um, the Psalms, he says, these are actually songs from the book of Psalms, hymns, which are other songs of praise, and spiritual songs as opposed to just secular songs, Right? So we do all of this singing with Christian thanks. And our emotions get heated up whenever we speak truth and understand truth about who God is. And it moves us from merely talking about God to singing about God, which is a pretty cool thing. So how many of you have been to Old Faithful in Wyoming? Raise your hand if you've ever seen Old Faithful. So it's at Yellowstone National Park. It is known as one of the most predictable uh, geographical features on earth. And erupts every 91 minutes. So here's how it works. The surface water works its way down to the average depth of about 6,000 feet where it contacts hot rocks. And so it comes in contact with those hot, red hot rocks. So it boils in the pressurized water finds a place to be released, and it releases in this hole in the ground that people will go and look at because it's quite fascinating, and it's called Old Faithful. 
You see, when the word of Christ, when the truth of God's word seeps into our hearts and becomes red hot, it, it bursts forth out of our mouths with emotion. And there are times when we can't just say things. We have to sing things. Raise your hand if you've ever been in love. Come on. You're sitting next to your spouse. Just just go ahead and raise it up. (laughs) I tell you, I love my wife. I love her. And I I know I talk a lot about her, but if you're annoyed, that's okay. I love her. And, And on occasion, my deep love for her bursts forth in songs. From the grace, greatest love singer of all time. Who is it? Lionel Richie. Lionel Richie. <laughs> and so throughout our marriage, from time to time, when I'm really just feeling red hot passionate for her, I'll sing her one of those Lionel Richie songs. Penny lover, my heart's on fire. If you know it, sing it with me. Penny lover, you're my one desire. If you know it, sing it with me. She's working in Kid City. All right, I'll stop. That, I heard, I don't know, I don't know what you, I don't even want to know what you said back there, right? There's a reason I preach and Lauren sings. <laughs> you see, my love for her intensifies, and the more truly I love her, the more it just comes forth in song. This is how it is in our relationship with God. The more we see what's true about God, the more we sing, the more intensely we sing, the less the worship leader has to say, come on, guys, let's go, let's go, let's go. Anthony Storr, in his excellent book, Music in the Mind, stresses that in all societies, the primary function of music is collective and communal. And it brings us together, it binds us together. People sing together in every culture. And if we can imagine the first hundred years of the human existence, them doing that, it's true. There's something special that happens when we sing at church. It, it, expresses for us what we believe to be true about God, but it also unites us. When we're all singing the same song, it unites us together. We say or sing together things that are true about God. May your hearts burst with songs this week as you experience the wonder of the peace of daily life with Jesus Christ. You see, because the way that you sing on a Sunday morning actually can also be how you sing to God during the week. May your heart burst the songs on a Sunday worship gathering. And may that continue during your week as you experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ. Not only do we sing together, but we pray together. So in prayer, we are admitting our need for God, right? We slow down. We acknowledge our limitations. We talk with a creator who is confident. We talk to the creator in confidence that he will hear us and answer and so I just preached a fairly lengthy series on prayer since the beginning of the year. So if you're interested in listening to those sermons, podcast.neartownchurch.org, you can listen to them. I think there's about six. And, and so I'm not going to go a lot into this idea of prayer, and certainly we know it emerges from the Bible. But when we think about prayer, we're actually not only obeying God's commands to pray, but we're getting access to the supernatural. Now, you might have heard about this idea of prayer before, but... Maybe it's been a while since you've heard about God answering a prayer. One of the things that we want to continue to do is share with you about how prayers in the life of this church, about very real, everyday needs are being answered. So we have a video to help you catch a glimpse.
Let's thank God for that awesome answer to prayer. Gabe has cancer and has already lived beyond what the doctors expected him to, and we're seeing God heal him and work miracles in his life, which is a really beautiful thing. We believe in the power of prayer. In fact, our one-year goal in 2018 is that we as a church would follow up on 10,000 prayer requests. I want to just kind of bring this before you. Many of you have already been aware of this, but this is a little prayer book that we're using. If you're a guest, you're you want to participate with us, then you can grab one in the back. I encourage all of you to continue prioritizing this. We believe in the power of prayer. And certainly we pray as a part of our Sunday morning gathering. And one type of prayer that we encourage and facilitate on Sunday morning that's so important but rarely talked about is a prayer of confession. Prayer of confession. So let's talk a little bit about why we do a prayer of confession as a part of our Sunday gathering. And I think that as you understand this, it's actually going to help you in your Christian living during the week. We confess sin each week because the Bible teaches that we are all still struggling with sin. The writer John says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the thing about confession of sin is it's not just something that we do as individuals, but it's actually a part of corporate Christian living. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. So, we tend to see the confession of sin as weakness. And in church life, what tends to happen is that we don't want to talk about sin because we don't want to admit that we're still struggling. Here's the reality. You continue to be tempted by and give in to on occasion sin. So do I. Why? Well, because we all still live in mortal bodies. We're still being sanctified or transformed into the people that God wants us to be in Christ. There's not a person in here that's perfect. And church ought to be the kind of place where you can come and be honest with one another and honest with God. And many of you are every single day projecting this image about yourself that goes a little something like this. I've got it all together. I know what I'm doing. I'm the best in the industry. I have the most potential. And I get it. That's some of what you have to do to survive in this climate. But I want you to know that when you come into the Christian gathering, that, that this is a safe place to be honest with God and with one another about your sin. And so something that we started doing a couple of months ago was we actually have a time during our service where we invite you to confess sin to God. And it will actually happen in just a few moments whenever we pass out the Lord's Supper. We'll have uh, kind of a model prayer up there that will help you think about just confession of sin. We do it every single week. And we do not see the confession of sin as actually revealing a weakness, but it in fact reveals a strength of Christian life. For you to be honest with God, God, I am not perfect. I need you. I've struggled with lust or with idolatry or with apathy or pride or materialism or whatever it may be, 
that rhythm of going, God, I still need you. God, forgive me. God, I, my hope is in you. I still want you to work in me. There's something about that that really strengthens your faith. You don't have to be perfect in this place. It's one of the reasons that whenever Jesus is instructing the disciples on how to pray, there's a phrase in there that is the, the implication is that this is something that would happen often as a part of prayer, where the phrase in there is, forgive us our sins. That's a constant refrain for the prayer life of a Christian who really, really wants to experience the peace of life with Christ. And another thing about confession of sin as being something that's good and healthy and filled with hope and not about shaming or beating up is that repentance is important not only for you as an, as an individual, but it's important for us as a church that people understand the value of repentance. Why? Because Sin is, in the Scripture, is not seen as only a private matter. Actually, the sin of the people that are a part of a church affects the whole church. And so if you neglect the confession of your own sin, then not only are you negatively affecting yourself, but you're negatively affecting the body. Something that I try to do frequently, not only on Sunday morning, but even during the week, is just to go before God and say, God, is there an area of my life where I've gotten off course and I need to just ask for forgiveness for. And more often than I would like to admit, there is. I've been prideful. I've been jealous. Whatever it may be. So in the worship gathering, we lead you through the confession of sin as a part of the whole thing. And we don't leave you there. There's actually a moment after a time of confession of sin where whoever's leading worship will speak over you forgiveness from God's word. May you humbly walk with God this week, talking regularly to him in prayer. Not just for the confession of sin, but just knowing that God hears your prayers this week. So not only do we pray, but we also, as a part of the worship gathering, we we practice the ordinances. So there are two ordinances according to the Bible. An ordinance is something that Jesus commands and then is also um, repeated or happens in the life of the first century church. There are two of them, the Lord's Supper and baptism. So I'm going to talk about baptism in the next couple of weeks, so I won't spend much time about that. But let's talk for a moment about Lord's Supper. In just a few moments, we're going to pass out these elements. You're going to take this cup, and there's going to be a little juice in it. It represents the blood of Christ. There's going to be a little piece of bread. It represents the body of Christ. And so the question is, why do we do this, right? And, and some people have said to me, like, oh, that's kind of outdated. Um, why would you do that anymore? You know, it just freaks people out, all that kind of stuff. Well, um, the reason that we do it, actually, is because we were commanded to do it and because it's a great way every week to renew our covenant with God through Christ. It's a covenant renewal ceremony where we're, as individuals in the context of community, affirming our commitment to Christ. That's why we say, if you're not a follower of Christ, this isn't for you. I mean, we're not trying to kind of set you apart or call you out or embarrass you, but we would say, like, this is not for you because this is for those that have confessed Christ, believing that the shed blood of Jesus and the broken body of Jesus has made a way for sin to be forgiven and the resurrection of Jesus gives us the hope of new life. And not only does it remind us of the cross, but it also actually points us to the return of Jesus. So Jesus first did this with his disciples just before he was crucified when they were celebrating the Jewish Passover. Twelve people in the room, 
Mark chapter 14, verse 22 are the words that are recorded when Jesus does this. And he says, as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body, which is the bread. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when it, when it is new in the kingdom of God, when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So the reason that we do the Lord's Supper each week is because it's a weekly reminder that Christ's body was broken and his blood was shed for us to have our sins forgiven. And it's just bread. It's just juice. Some churches teach that it's literally the body of Christ and literally the blood of Christ. We don't find that in the scriptures. It is just a representative. It reminds us of the cross and it strengthens our faith. And actually, in the early church, when they met for worship, oftentimes they did the Lord's Supper after a meal. They called it a love feast. I bet the attendance would raise here. If I said, hey, we're having a love feast Sunday, like people from the neighborhood would be like, I don't know what that is, but it sounds very Montrose. We're going to come down there. So we, we, um, so we do this every single week, and it's so important because it is an active recalling of the cross, and it's also a reminder that Jesus is going to return. And, you know, that's an important thing for you to think about in your Christian life during the week. You know, when, when you come face-to-face with difficult situations or you get bored or just whatever is happening in your life, it's a really wonderful thing for you to take some time and to reflect on the cross. You may not have juice and bread and take it as a part of the ceremony during the week, but one of the most empowering, powerful things you can do during the week is to remind yourself that Jesus died for you. God loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son to die for you so that you can be given new life. And when you think about that, no matter what's going on during the week, it kind of puts it all in perspective, right? You got a difficult test. You got a difficult situation at work. Something is trying at home. There's something about reminding ourselves that, hey, you know what? God loved me so much that he sent Jesus to die for my sins. And no matter how bad it gets, I know this, that if I'm going to die tomorrow, and some of you may feel like you're going to die in whatever situation you're in, that I'm going to spend eternity with God in heaven. So may you remember what God did for you by sending Jesus to die so that you might live at peace with God this week. Not only do we sing and pray and, and practice the ordinances, but we also learn from the Scriptures. Why? why? Why do we take time each week to read the Bible? And although I was being kind of playful with my daughter being up here reading the Bible, I want you to know that I consider that part of our worship time to be, if there's any one thing that's the most important, it's that. It's the time where we're saying, God, we've said some things to you in song. We're saying some things to you in prayer. We're saying some things to one another. Now let us listen to you. It's about a relationship, right? Can you imagine having a relationship with somebody and they did all the talking? That's not much of a relationship, is it? That's a lecture. (laughs) But when we are taking the time to learn from God's word, we're listening to God. Because we believe that the written word, the Bible, reveals the living word, Jesus. And the more clearly we see Jesus, the more fully we understand who God is, and the more appropriately we can live out our Christian faith. The Bible is the knowledge that God has given us. And 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says that the knowledge of God gives us all that we need for life and godliness. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says this about God's Word. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, 
that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The reason that we take the scriptures so seriously is, is because we believe that these are the words of God to us. Now, truthfully, you could find a church that kind of picks and chooses things out of here to build another kind of teaching and sets the Bible over here and then does their thing over here. We, we're not that kind of church. We want for everything that we do to emerge from what's on these pages. It's one reason that the church has staff members who are paid. I get part of the reason I get paid to do my job is because I spend a lot of time every week um, thinking about and studying what God's Word says and thinking about how to bring it to you. It's because this is God's Word speaking to us. And so I, as a preacher, and each of us that are teachers in the life of this church, take this opportunity to hear from God very seriously. And even in the Bible, when we come into places that are difficult to talk about and difficult to believe and difficult to understand, we want to carefully and gently speak truthfully to you. So we do a lot of talking to God, a lot of seeing to God, a lot of praying to God and all that, but we want to listen to God, which is why we take God's Word so seriously. But you know, and here's the thing, I know this, if we don't take God's Word seriously in our Sunday morning gatherings, then you'll never take it seriously in your everyday lives. If I say to you, this is God's word for you, but never teach it to you and distance myself from it, then how in the world could we expect for you to hear from God through his word during the week? So I hope that the way that the scriptures are elevated in this setting will be a reminder to you that during the week, you too ought to be listening to God. You don't have to just wait until Sunday morning to listen to God or wait until your midweek loop group. You don't have to wait to those times to hear God's Word. You can open God's Word and read it also. One of my favorite ways to read God's Word during the week is with the use of the Bible app, YouVersion Bible app. Raise your hand if you have, have YouVersion as a Bible app. Yeah, a lot of you do. And so you can go on to YouVersion, the Bible app, and you can select different daily devotionals. There's all kinds of them, things that are teachings of the books of the Bible or more topical series that use the scriptures from the Bible, that kind of stuff. So there's no reason that you shouldn't, during the week, do what we're saying is important on Sunday mornings, and that is listen to God's Word. Take time to read the scriptures daily. This is why we prioritize it, because it's God's Word for you. Another thing that we do as a part of our Sunday morning off, uh, Sunday morning worship time is we give an offering. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1, Paul is talking to the Corinthians. He says this, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the church of Galatia, so you also are to do. Look at verse 2. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. So Paul's expectations for the Christian in Corinth is that each time that they gather on the first day of the week, which would be Sunday, that they would set aside resources that are going to enable Paul to do the ministry God's called him to. In this instance, Paul is collecting money for the poor that are in, the, in Jerusalem. But there's a larger teaching going on here, and we see more of it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where Paul is trying to help the, understand, the Corinthians understand that the offering is a part of worship because it, in fact, reveals where the heart of the people are. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3, Paul is talking to the churches, 
of the church in Corinth about the church in Macedonia who, according to Paul, gave according to their means and beyond their means of their own accord. Money is a funny subject, right? And, and one reason that we tend to shy away from it is because it feels so personal. And another reason is, is because in the history of the Christian church, all of us have heard stories about churches who have misused money given. But the reality is that money is provided to us by God for our needs, but the most um, telling part of how we spend our money is, is how much of it we give to God for His purposes in the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Sows means give money. <laughs> Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So one reason we do an offering every week, and we do it near the end, but it doesn't mean it's any less an act of worship as any other part of what we do. One reason we give is because we know this. Spiritually, we're commanded to do it by God, and it enables ministry to go forward. And then really practically, I mean, you would understand this. Many of you are gainfully employed. It costs money to do ministry, right? It's just very practical. And I've said before that any issue with a need for money in the life of this church in particular is not an income issue. It's an obedience issue. And so we want to stir that up in you. And here's the thing. In my 20-plus years of ministry, I find that the happiest people are the most generous people. I mean, you could, you could try to prove me wrong, but you would be wrong. Um, I found that to be true. The happiest times in my marriage have not been when I've made the most money, have been when Jeannie and I have had an opportunity to be generous, and we've been generous to things that God cares about. An expression of our Christian faith is giving financial to God for His work in the world. Now, just so you know, this church is not struggling financially. We have no debt, but the more obedient that people are in this area of Christian living as a part of Sunday worship, the more we're able to do things in the community to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. So it's not the last thing we give to, it's the first thing that we give to. Then your barns will be filled with plenty. And listen to this. Some of you will really like this. And your vats will be bursting with wine. I heard it almost an amen. Um, honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first fruits of all your produce. May you manage your resources well so that you can live generously for the work of God that will last beyond your days on earth. That's why we do this as a part of worship. And one last thing that I want to help you to understand that we do as a part of our service is we kiss. Okay, we don't kiss. We shake hands and we hug and we fist bump and we point at each other, right? So it's interesting, in the New Testament and in the early church, when the church got together, it was very common culturally for people to kiss one another. In our culture, it's a little weird. In fact, 
uh, I'll just say this. First Peter chapter 5, verse 14, Peter's saying, Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is one of like four or five places in the New Testament where the church leaders are instructing the believers when they get together to kiss one another. Now, don't worry, I'm not about to implement a new ministry. Some of y'all are single and you'd be like, hey, you know, that'd be cool. I'm down with that. Um, but it does say something about how we can actually relate to one another when we get together that's really special. And that is through the power of physical touch. The power of a hug. The power of shaking hands. One reason that we station people in the doors and over here is because we want everybody to walk in to get a handshake if they're comfortable receiving it, you know, and and uh, we have those that are a little more huggy than others, which is, you know, everybody's kind of got their different thing. But one reason that we care about being together in, in this way and physically present with one another, because we think it actually uh, builds solidarity in the community. It builds connection. Now, don't get weird, okay? Don't be the guy that's now, like, feels empowered to, like, go hug everybody. But I want you to know that one reason, as a part of our worship time, we say, hey, greet one another, shake each other's hand. It's not just because we don't know what to do at that part. It's because we believe that there's real power in, in connecting in that way. I, uh, I know that's kind of a new idea for some of you, and I hope it's not weird, but it's really, really important. The way in which you show up physically with other people says a lot about your love for them. And certainly you would know that to be true during the week, like with your spouse. The way that you hug and express love to them during the, uh, the week can strengthen or break down connections. And so when we're on here on Sunday morning and we're shaking hands and we're hugging and we're fist bumping and whatever, it's actually an act of worship because we're building solidarity, like I said, and it's all a part of this larger thing that God is doing to unify us as a church to move us forward. So we do all of these things as a part of worship in hopes that not only God will be pleased, which we believe he is, but also in hopes that you will be able to do these things during the week as a part of your Christian faith. We hope that you will sing on Sunday morning and that the truth of who God is will so burst forth from your lips, moving you from prose to poetry, from just speaking to song that that is, in fact, the way you'll live during the week. You will so come face to face with the truth and the beauty of who God is during the week that you will at times just be moved to singing. We pray in Sunday morning because we want to stir up within you a knowledge and a discipline to pray during the week, believing that God hears you. We remember the cross because we believe that the gospel the truth of the gospel is the greatest demonstration of God's love for us. And that truth actually can inspire us in our faith during the week. We show up physically on Sunday morning because our physical presence says a lot about our love. And we want to stir that up in the life of this church so that that, in fact, strengthens your love for others. And as that happens, the world can see how Christians love each other. We do all of this because we are together on mission with God. So would you bow your head and just let's think about these things. So it's a different kind of a talk, and so the kind of response that I'm going to call you to will be 
the same as what we normally do. If you're here and you've not crossed over the line of faith, you've never acknowledged your sin before God, asking for forgiveness for your sin, believing that Jesus' broken body and his shed blood makes a way for your sin to be forgiven, then do it today. Today's a great day to start it. You say, well, how do I do it? Well, what you would simply do is say to God, God, forgive me, I've sinned. I want my sin forgiven. I believe that Jesus died for my sin. And I believe that his resurrection gives me the hope of new life. For those of you that have already crossed over the line of faith, I, I wonder if you've, a few of you have felt some conviction that maybe you have had a diminished view of the value of the Sunday morning gathering. Maybe that feeling that's in your heart is the first area that you can confess to God and repent of for for minimizing something that God has established as being a part of the Christian faith. So others of you, maybe your hearts were stirred for this area of prayer, maybe wanting to take it more seriously in the Sunday morning gathering and then in your everyday life or the reading the scriptures, whatever it may be. I just want to stir up within this congregation a willingness to say, God, what do you want to do in my heart today? What do you want to strengthen in my heart today? What do you want me to respond to today? God Almighty, we love you. And God, what what this is, this Sunday morning time, has for all of us at times uh, lost, um, lost its place. So I pray, God, that we would reprioritize it. We would lean into it. We would more fully understand it. Thank you for the work of Jesus on the cross that makes it possible for us to come together in this way and to boldly and confidently approach you. You're such a good God. And so, God, now we want to respond, and I trust that your spirit is going to work and you're going to do what you want to do. We just love you, and I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.